Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, church. So glad that you're here this morning uh, on this Time Change Sunday. You did it. You made it. Proud of you. Good job. Who knows at about 2 o'clock, your body, you better be around something soft because you're just going to fall, this guy, right here. (laughs) Hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. My name is Matt Darby. I'm one of the pastors here at New Beginnings, and it is my joy to be opening God's Word with you today. Today is exciting because we are beginning a brand new sermon series called Passion Week, The Road to the Cross. And through this series leading up to Easter, we are going to take an in-depth look at all of the events or the key events leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the most important week in the life of Christ, and it begins with the triumphal entry, and that's where we will be today. We will spend uh, the bulk of this series looking in the book of Mark. We'll be looking in the book of Mark. Mark is a unique gospel. Uh, It's the shortest gospel, um, and it's known just as much for what's in it as for what it leaves out. And here's what I mean by that. Mark doesn't have a genealogy like Matthew. Mark does not have uh, the birth narrative. We don't see the narrative of Jesus' birth. We don't see that. Mark does not include the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It has very few parables. But here's what Mark has. Mark gives almost a third of the book, chapters 11 through 16, to this one week. To this one week in the life of Christ leading up to the cross. And so we will spend the majority of our time in the Passion Week series looking at the book of Mark. And so with that in mind, I want you to grab your Bible and go with me to Mark chapter 11. <coughs> Excuse me, Mark chapter 11. And we will be looking at this first step of Passion Week um, that is known as the Triumphal Entry. Mark chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. As always, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'll have the Scriptures uh, here on the screen. You can follow along with us there. God's Word says this, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back there immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus has said. Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray together. Father, I'm asking that in Jesus' name you would illuminate your word to us this morning. Uh, God, your people, your church, we do not need to hear someone speak. We need to hear your voice. And so, God, I am praying right now that you would move in this place, open our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you. God, cause your word to be made alive in us and speak to our hearts. We beg that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So if, if you were to follow the steps of Jesus through his ministry... You know, Jesus lived 33 years, but only three of those years was he in active ministry. And if you would have followed Jesus for those three years of his ministry, you would have journeyed from, uh, from Bethlehem to Egypt to uh, Nazareth through Galilee into Capernaum, into Gentile areas like uh, Tyre, Caesarea, Philippi, Jericho, and Judea. You would have just gone all over. And now... We see in Mark, Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem. For three years, for three years, he has preached the kingdom of God. For three years, he has preached and taught repentance, love, and forgiveness. He has healed the outcast and the untouchable. He has performed inexplicable miracles. He has raised up 12 men from nothing, scoundrels, liars, Fishermen, which according to my grandmother is the same as liars. And so 12 men that he, he, he set loose with the gospel message to change the world forever. And now, during Passover week, he enters into the holy city of Jerusalem, presenting himself now as the one true king. And listen, the timing could not be more perfect. It could not, Jesus coming into Jerusalem at this time, see, they're celebrating Passover. And so the Lamb of God is coming in as they celebrate the Passover Lamb. The timing couldn't be more perfect. I was thinking about, as I was thinking through this this week, I was thinking um, just about perfect timing. Because timing matters, right? Timing matters. I'm going to put a picture up. I want you to see if you can tell me what, what, if you know what this is. Who can tell me what that is? Say it again. Randy Johnson. And what happened? He hit a bird. So this is in 2001. This is in spring training of 2001. Randy Johnson standing on the mound pitching for the Arizona Diamondbacks, throws a fastball, and a dove flies right into the path of that fastball and becomes, you know, an an absolute explosion of feather dust and regret. You can see it, right? And so... This is what's left of the bird. The the cloud of feathers is is what's left. I was thinking about uh, what the probability of that was. And so I'm no mathematician, so I just read what someone else had already figured out. 84 million to 1 odds of that happening. 84 million to 1 odds that he would throw a pitch, and at that very moment, a bird would be flying at just the right speed, at just the right time, at just the right height to be hit by that fastball. Perfect. Listen, timing matters. It mattered for that bird that day, right? 
(laughs) Timing matters. Have you ever taken a picture um, and something happened right as you took the picture and it captured something hilarious? You didn't mean to capture that, but it did. There's a couple of pictures I want to show you. Look at this one. So this is a dog. He looks like he's eating the bubble. That's what he wants to do, but it looks like he's in the bubble, right? Get out of that bubble, dog. All right. Here's the next one I want you to see. Look at this. Okay, look at that. Look at that guy. Hey, that's an aggressive bird. That thing knows what he's doing. That's impressive. He's getting after it. Look at this one. Look at this guy just walking along, having a great day, and (laughs) looks like a giant butterfly. I love it. You know, some years back, Carrie and I, I say some years, uh, it's been, I guess, two and a half years ago, Carrie and I took our kids to uh, Colorado on vacation one summer, and there's a place where you can go, and you can sit up on this rocky kind of cliffside overlooking a lake. It's very beautiful, and you can feed these little chipmunks, and we knew we could do that, so we had taken some sunflower seeds, and it isn't just that uh, these chipmunks are used to being fed, it's that they expect to be fed. So when you get there, they're waiting on you, and so they're all over your feet. They'll, they'll, they'll almost come eat right out of your hand. And so we were having a ball, and Carrie had put a few sunflower seeds on her leg, and these, and I captured this one picture. Look at this. Look at that little guy just sitting on her leg. Look, it looks like they're just visiting with one another, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, those things are quick. And so I was just snapping, 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 trying to capture, and I just happened to capture this one, and it looks like they're having a great time. Really, his thought is, um, if you stop the sunflower seed buffet, we're going to have a problem. And that's what he's thinking. And so, but listen, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, they are celebrating Passover, the Passover festival. And you remember this commemorated the, uh, the liberation of the Hebrew people from Egyptian slavery. You remember that story. You remember how God sent the final plague. And the final plague was going to kill the firstborn sons. But to protect his people, what did he do? He commanded them to take a lamb and to sacrifice it. And to take the blood of that lamb and to sprinkle it or or put it over the doorpost of their home. And as the angel came through, he would what? He would pass over them as he was making his way throughout Egypt. And because they walked in obedience, because they did that, the sons the, 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 of the Hebrew children were saved, and so we get the festival called Passover. Listen, it is not coincidental. It is divine that the true Passover lamb, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world once for all, was coming during Passover. Amen? The timing is perfect, and the one true king is here. Mark 11 begins this last week of Jesus' life with the triumphal entry. And this event is so important, it is reflected in all four Gospels. We go, well, that's really not that big a deal. Well, when you think about it, um, very few events are captured in all four Gospels. This one is. The triumphal entry is captured in all four Gospels. So this morning, as we navigate our way through Mark 11, I want us to hear the voice of the Lord Be sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Hear his word, receive it, and walk in obedience to it. So here's the first thing that I want you to see from Mark 11. Here's the first thing. The one true king is in control. The one true king is in control. Look at Mark 11. Let's look at verse uh, 1 through 3 again. It says, Now 
when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Before we get too far, it is critical that we understand something. As we look at this Passion Week, as we're looking at the events leading up to the cross, it is absolutely critical that we recognize nothing, nothing over the next week will happen outside of the sovereign control of God Almighty. You're like, oh, but Matt, he's, he's, he's about to be beaten. Nothing will happen outside the sovereign control of God. But he's going he's gonna to go through a sham of a trial and be accused of false crimes. Nothing is going to happen outside of the sovereign control of God. But he's going to be murdered. Not one detail of this week will happen outside the sovereign control of God Almighty. The Passion Week did not happen by chance or by some omission of God. Every event, every detail, everything has been leading up to this moment. The timing is perfect. From Genesis 3.15... You remember when God began to give the promise that he would send a redeemer to crush the head of the enemy. You remember that? I will send one who will crush from that moment throughout every prophet, throughout every promise, right on through the entire Old Testament history, through the 400 years of silence between Malachi and the birth of Jesus, throughout his ministry, his healings, his calling, throughout everything he did, it has been leading up to this in anticipation of this Weak. The one true king is in control. And I think we see three distinct ways that he demonstrates his control right here in Mark chapter 11. Here's the first way Jesus displays his control in his omniscience. In his omniscience. You know, that word means his all knowingness, his, his full knowledge, right? Jesus knows all and sees all. He knew what lay ahead of his disciples. He told them to go into the village and immediately they would find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Now listen, Jesus didn't know this because he went on a scouting mission the day before and happened to find an unbroken colt and, and knew right where it would be. And so he came back and waited for the next day and said, hey, guys, you're going to go and you're going to... That's not how this worked. Jesus knew where the colt was going to be. He knew what kind of colt it would be. He knew how and where it would be tied because he was walking with full omniscience. He is fully in control, and he displays that control in his knowing all things. Nothing is hidden away from his eternal knowledge. He knew what lay ahead of his disciples. And believer, can I tell you something? He knows what lays ahead of you. He knows what lays ahead of you. What do you mean? I mean this. Jesus sees where you can't see. He he sees around the corner. He sees to the end of the path where it's still dark and you don't have light to walk. He sees all. He knows all. Oh, and listen, that means for us there is no situation, there is no problem, there is no crisis and no decision that we have ever or will ever face that Jesus does not fully know. Colossians 2, 
verse 3, talking about Christ, says this, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Which isn't just to say that he knows. It is to say that he is knowing. He is knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom, all the treasures of knowledge are hidden in Christ. Which is why in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus invites us in to rest in him. Look at this verse. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my oak upon you, and what? Say this, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus displays the one true king is in full control, and it is displayed in his omniscience. Believer, listen, there's something in your life right now, and it is at the end of the path, and you can't see it. It's around the corner, and you don't know how to, what to expect. You don't know how to prep, and you don't know how to plan. I'm telling you, Jesus sees it. He sees it clearly. In him is, is the full knowledge of that, and he has already invited you in to take that that feels uncertain, that feels unstable, and to lay it at his feet feet and rest in him. He knows. The one true king is in control and he displays that in his omniscience. Here's a second way I want you to see how the king is in control. Jesus displays his control as creator, as creator. Jesus rules over all creation. Here we see Jesus tells his disciples to bring a cult on which no one has ever sat. That means the colt is unbroken. I don't know if anybody in here has had the unique blessing of sitting on an animal that has never been broken. Anyone? Maybe? Okay. There's, there's, a, there's a unique blessing in sitting on an animal that has never been broken. Are they super compliant and very helpful? No, they lose their mind. I actually watch some cowboys trying to break a wild donkey. And it, first of all, it was hilarious. Um, but this animal went crazy. It was bucking. It was kicking. It was biting. It was doing everything it could to get the rider off its back. Listen, this thing was not playing well with others. It was losing its mind. Everything in it was rebelling and against the rider. And yet, when they bring that unbroken colt, that had never been sat on. It says that Jesus sat on it. He, he, he sat on it. What does that mean? It means Jesus had subdued all creation. He was Lord of creation. And this is a created being. And he caused that created being to fully submit and be subdued under his rule. Why? Because the one true king is in control. The one true king is in control. Listen, not one time do we see this cult rebel. As Jesus makes his way up to Jerusalem, not one time does a single, I said the triumphal entry was recorded in all four gospels, not one time in all four of those do we see anything that sounds like, and the cult threw Jesus to the ground. And the cult ran away. And the cult was bucking. Not one time do we see that. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of creation. He has subdued the earth. So let me ask you this, church. What do you need Jesus to subdue in your life? 
Where do you need the Lord of all creation to demonstrate his authority? What is the circumstance in your life that feels unbroken? It's going wild. It's unyielding and you can't control it. And you need the Lord of all creation to bring peace. The one true king is in control. Amen? He is omniscient. He knows what we don't know. He has subdued the earth. Here's the last thing I want you to see. The one true king is in control, and he displays his control as Lord. He displays his control as Lord. Look in verse 3. Jesus is telling his disciples how to answer a question they've not even been asked yet. He says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Then in verse 5 and 6, we see them getting the colt, and just as Christ said what happened, they are questioned. What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus has said, and they let them go. This is a, a little side note, and I can't spend a lot of time here, but don't miss where it says, and they told them what Jesus has said. It doesn't say, and they got into an argument. It doesn't say they tried to convince the owner. It doesn't say they, they went back and forth and tried to haggle over a price. It says they simply spoke the words of Christ, and it was well. Believer, I want to tell you something. The word of Jesus and the command of Jesus in your life is more than enough. Some of you heard me without hearing. The word of Christ is more than enough. So that when you are captured by the word of God and you have hidden it in your heart, like David said, when you enter a situation like this, just walking in obedience to the word of God is enough. It just says they just said what Jesus told them to say, and they let them go. Listen, when Jesus refers to himself here as Lord, he says, you tell them the Lord has need of it. The Greek word Lord, here's what it literally means, supreme in authority. Supreme in authority. I believe Jesus is declaring himself to be Messiah, the one in control, the one true authority, the one true Lord and King. And listen, this is bold. This is bold. He is presenting himself as the one true king. And notice the owner's response. Those people who questioned, notice they resp their response. And they let them go. They let them take the colt. Listen, if this was you and I, let's see. So imagine uh, tomorrow morning, you wake up, uh, you look out your window, it's a, it's a beautiful day, and there's uh, two people that you don't know, and they're pushing your brand new car out into the street. They're just, they're just backing it out, just backing it out into the street, right? They didn't ask. They didn't knock on your door and talk about it. You blow through the door, you run out in the street, hey, what are you doing? Moving my car. I've not even got to drive that thing yet. And their only response is, we need it. We need it. Okay, how many of you in this room are going to grab a firearm? This guy, I'm getting one. I'm getting on the, on the phone. I'm calling the police. And I'm going to make sure that car does not leave, my, not leave my house. That's the situation the owner of that cult was in. And yet it says they let him go. Why? Because the one true king was in control. Because the Lord had need of it. If Jesus is omniscient, 
knowing all things, and he is. And Jesus is the creator, subduing all creation, and he is. And Jesus is Lord, ruling over all things, and he is. Then he is indeed the one true king, and the one true king is in control. Listen, I think there's a simple truth here for all of us this morning. Jesus is the king who is actually in control of your life. Jesus is the king who is actually in control of your life. And he deserves our trust, amen? We live in a, we live in a culture. We live in an anxiety-induced culture, don't we? Because here's what culture, here's what, our, here's what society says. If the market is good, then I'm good. If the bank account is good, then I'm good. If, if, I, if my health is good, then I'm good. We live in a reality where if circumstances are fine, then we are fine. But what happens when those become unpredictable? What happens when they're not fine anymore? What happens when planes crash into buildings? What happens when our faith is shaken? What happens when you misread the fine print of your insurance policy and it costs you? What happens when the doctor calls and your health isn't good anymore? See, when, we, when these things happen, when that worst news possible comes, when, when all of that begins to shift, they often cause anxiety in our lives. Why? Because they disrupt our illusion of control. Don't hear what I didn't say. I didn't say it disrupts our control. I said it disrupts our illusion of control. Believer, you are not in control of your life and neither am I. The one true king is in control. And I find myself wrestling with fear and anxiety most often when my illusion of that control gets messed with. Max Lucado, a great writer, said this. He said, the presence of anxiety is inevitable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Whew. The presence of anxiety is inevitable. You are going to experience, what did Jesus say? He said, in the world you will have trouble. The presence of anxiety is inevitable. It's going to happen. But the prison of anxiety is optional. The prison of anxiety is created from a misplaced trust. Anxiety is that moment that God is no longer what is driving and sustaining my security and trust. How many of you just be honest and say, Sometimes I just feel at home in the prison of anxiety. Just bound up. It just feels home. I don't want to operate out of the prison of anxiety. I want to recognize that there is a one true king and that he is in control. And he's demonstrated that for me by knowing all things, by subduing all things, by being Lord over all things. So why in the world would I then pick that up and bring it back onto myself? You know, when I, was, when I was in the second grade, uh, a magician came to our school at West Elementary in Dangerfield, Go Big Blue, and um, uh, he stood on the stage. He had, this little, he had this little black table with like a long uh, black drape, and he stood behind. He had a room full of kiddos, right? 
and there was a salt shaker, like a, like a metal shiny salt shaker because it looked like a little table setting. And he stood there and he said, okay, I'm going to move this salt shaker with the power of my mind and the magic in my hand. And I was like, no, you're not. And so it's because I had it figured out, right? It was second grade, don't forget, very wise. And he began to do this, and that salt shaker started to move toward his hand. And I was like, that's it. Magic is real. Somebody get me a wand. I'm going to Hogwarts. It's real. Everything is true. And he just moved it back and forth, back and forth. Here's what I didn't know. What I didn't know was he had a, a, a little extension arm, and on the end of that arm was a magnet. And that magnet was under the table, was under the cloth. And wherever he wanted that salt shaker to go, he just moved it with the magnet. I didn't see that. But listen, once I saw that illusion for what it was, I was never fooled by it again. I was never fooled by it again. This is what happens when we learn to see the illusion of control for what it is. It's an illusion. Believer, you're not in control. And once you know it, once you know it and you start to rest in it, you are liberated from the trap of anxiety and fear brought on by it. Don't rest in the prison of anxiety. Don't believe in the salt shaker moving around on the table. Put your trust and your faith in the one true king who knows all and who is all. Amen? Amen. So the one true king is in control. Here's the next thing I want you to see. The one true king displays humility. The one true king displays humility. We see this beautiful submission and humility in how Jesus came. Think about this with me for just a moment. What Mark records shows us that this king who is riding in, he is riding in in humility. Here's why. During this time when a Roman soldier, when a Roman general uh, would have a victory in battle, that victory was declared by that Roman general marching into the city. And listen, he didn't just come in. He came in in full array of his military gear, cape flapping in the breeze. He wasn't on a donkey. He was on a war horse, trained, well-mannered, a veteran war horse. And he would ride in on this animal, fully arrayed, with his sword in his hand to, to display his power with the thousands of people shouting his name. Now contrast that with what we see from Jesus. Jesus entered Jerusalem in the most unremarkable way. On an animal of peace, not war. Why? Because Jesus came to make peace between God and man. He was surrounded by his army of 12, not 12,000. And he was armed, not with a sword and a shield, but with his complete Submission to the will of his Father. That is the only thing that was Christ was bound up in through this entire week. As we navigate this series, don't lose sight of this. Jesus navigated this week, the worst and hardest and most difficult week of his life. He did it because he was bound up in a full submission to the will of his Father. 
Jesus coming into Jerusalem the way he did is another fulfillment of Scripture, by the way. It's another fulfillment of the prophecy. If you look at Zechariah chapter 9, this will be on the screen. Zechariah chapter 9 and in verse 9, God's Word says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a what? Okay. Y'all know the rules of participation, right? <laughs> what is he mounted on? A donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was the fulfillment of every promise of God. And listen, he did this. He entered this way to show, one, that he was not afraid of the power of the hatred of his enemies that were in Jerusalem. Listen, Jesus had enemies. And they were, at this very moment, actively scheming to kill him. And yet he was unafraid. He didn't come into the city incognito, hiding, hoping not to be seen. No, he came publicly. He came publicly. He didn't come into Jerusalem downcast or, or downhearted at the thoughts of the sufferings he would soon endure. He came joyfully. Why? How was it that Jesus, being fully omniscient, right, knowing what was to come, would still come publicly, peacefully, joyfully? Why? Because the one true king was coming in full submission and in full humility. Philippians 2, verse 4 through 11. I want you to look at this with me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. I want you to see this picture of the humble, submitted Christ. God's Word says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Which, by the way, I included that verse because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ seeing, laying aside his own interest and seeing ours and putting ours above his own. Right? That's the gospel. So let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he did what? He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one true king was fully submitted to the will of his father. It says that he um, emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He became in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and he walked in obedience even to the point of death. And listen, because Jesus was fully submitted, because he was walking in humility, fully uh, surrendered to the will of his father, we don't have to stop reading at verse 8. We get to go to verse 9, which says this, therefore, because all of this is true, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? We don't get to verse 9 and 10 without verse 6, 7, and 8. We don't get 
to the name above every name apart from Jesus walking in full humility and submission. So practically, what does that mean in your life? It means God may very well have a season of glory coming for you that you can't attain until you walk in full humility and submission to the season you're in now. Oh, but Matt, I don't like this season. Nah. You think this was Jesus' favorite week? You remember in the garden what he prayed? If there is any way, let this cup pass from me. But what if there is a season? What if there is a therefore just around the corner for you? And you have to walk in full submission and humility in the season you're in today. Because there is a season coming where you will be glorified. Oh, I don't want to miss that season because I wasn't obedient in this one. Amen? And listen, I, when we think about that, how he came peacefully and, and joyfully and, and publicly, and he was fully submitted to the will of his Father, I, I want to tell you, in my own life, and I would imagine this is true for you too, my, my peace and my joy, not, not my happiness or my temporal uh, 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 my temporal satisfaction, my true peace and my joy are intrinsically linked to my submission to the will of God. Believer, there is no lasting peace, there is no lasting joy, and no lasting contentment in your life outside of your full submission to the will of God. The one true king is in control. The one true king displayed humility, and the one true king has come to save us. That's the last thing I want you to get this morning. The one true king alone can save. Go back to Mark 11. Look at verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark 11, verse 8 says this, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread their leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Isn't it fascinating to, to read the shouts of the crowd? The words they were saying were absolutely true. But what makes this fascinating is that just six days later, what will they shout? They will shout, crucify. They will look up and they will say, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Oh, on today, they're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. But the, but the crucify him is coming. God help us. God help me. If on Sunday I shout Hosanna. And on Monday I speak curses. God help me. If this room is the only room where I have the confidence to speak the name of Jesus. Heaven help us 
if in this group of people is the only group of people where we have the courage to say that our God saves and to speak the name of Jesus. They were saying all the right things, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And listen, that's another fulfillment of prophecy from Psalm 118. That Hosanna literally means, Lord, save us. Save, I pray. Save now. That's what it literally means. It wasn't that they were struggling to believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. Listen, every prophecy was fulfilled. The prophecy of 2 Samuel 7 is being fulfilled in Christ. The prophecy of Isaiah 9 being fulfilled right now in their midst, in the person of Jesus Christ. The prophecy of Isaiah 11 is being fulfilled in Christ. Jeremiah 23, being fulfilled in the work of Christ. Ezekiel 34, it is being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That wasn't the issue. The issue was he simply didn't look the way they wanted him to look. What what did they want? They wanted a political hero. They wanted a political savior to come in and fix every injustice in their life and establish them. They wanted to do a flip-flop with Rome. They wanted them to be established and Rome to be the servant. They wanted a political hero. How many times have you missed Christ because he wasn't, wasn't doing what you wanted him to do? I'm, listen, I'm preaching to myself. How many times have you just wanted Jesus to fix whatever emergency you were living in and you missed the eternal satisfaction that he provides? Jesus did not come just for your temporary victories. He came for your eternal salvation. So what do you mean there? What I mean is I have been guilty of, and some of you right now are walking in a season of where you simply want your circumstances to get better. We just, we just want our circumstances to get better. And I'm telling you, what you need this morning is transformation. You need transformation. You, meet, you need to meet the one true king who is in control, who is fully submitted, and who alone can save I, 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 I too often, I want the temporary fix in my finances when really what I need to do is submit those to the one true king to relinquish my illusion, my illusion of control over them. Some of you this morning are wanting your marriage restored when in reality you're looking for that temporary fix, but what you need is for the very first time to submit your marriage and your spouse to God and then learn what it means to submit to one another. Some of you believe what you need is just for this circumstance in your family to get better. But what you really need is to submit to the one true king and make him the superstar of your home. Some of you think what I really need is job security. That's what I want. No. What you really need is to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I can fill in a book of things where I go, what I really need is blank. 
because I become addicted to my circumstances being right, believing that somehow that's going to be the measure of peace and comfort that I need to navigate through this. But Jesus did not come just to fix my temporary circumstances. He came to give me eternal hope and eternal salvation and to eternally restore me to the God of all creation. The one true king has come and the one true king is in control, fully submitted and here to save. Amen. Amen. Jesus came. Listen. Jesus came to save you from a life of dependency on your best effort. Anybody else? Okay, okay. He came to save us from a life of my best effort. I've seen my best effort. It's not that good. It's not that, it's not that good. He came to save me from a life of dependence on me. I want you to look at John 16, 33. I want you to see what God said. He, Jesus, these are the words of Christ. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have what? In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Your best efforts will be enough. Wait, sorry. That's the, that's the Darby translation. That, that's a terrible translation. Never read that. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. If you try a little harder, it'll work out. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Because if everybody will just do what you want them to do, it'll be fine. <laughs> Y'all are laughing, but we tell each ourselves these lies, don't we? In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I, the one true king, the Lord of all creation, fully submitted, fully humbled, and here to save, has overcome the world. That's where I want my rest. That's where I want to lay down. So believer, what is it this morning? What is that situation in your life where you have convinced yourself your best effort is going to be enough? What is that situation in your family where you are believing the lie that if we can just try a little harder, we're going to be all right? What is that situation that has got you in the prison of anxiety and fear because you believe you are in control of it? I do not need any more of those in my life. Here's what I do need. I need to rest in the one true king. He is in control. He has taught me how to walk in humility and to submit to the will of my Father. And he has saved me, meaning everything has been done that needs to be done for me to have the victory of John 16, 33. So I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to hold on to it, and in Jesus' name, I want to walk in it. Amen? Listen, this morning we're not going to have a uh, traditional invitation. Here's why. Because I just want you, to, I just want you to, to wrestle with this. When I ask what is that situation, I, really, I legitimately want you to, to wrestle. What is it in my life I'm holding on to? Write it down if you need to. Put it somewhere and submit it 
Sometimes you're going to have to submit it every day. Sometimes you're going to have to submit it every minute of every day. You preach it to yourself until your heart believes it. So we're not going to have that traditional invitation, but I want you to rest in this teaching. That the Lord God loves you, the one true king has come, and he has made a way for you to have a life of victory. Amen? Thank you, Lord.